a perspective of like, okay, a lot of the even vegetables that we're eating on land, if you're sourcing them, you know, from big factory vegetable farms, if you will, or a lot of them are grown in soil that's been like depleted of nutrients, while a lot of the nutrients are still really rich in our oceans. So I think that's kind of an interesting point too, is you're getting like maybe different levels of vitamins and minerals from sea vegetables versus land-based plants. Yeah, I think those are the, the two main drivers for, for thinking about kelp and the plant-based diet for me. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. Today, we are going to dive deep into our coastal waters as we discuss the power of algae for human nutrition. I'm thrilled to be joined today by another algae entrepreneur and sustainability advocate, Courtney Boyd-Myers. Courtney is the CEO and CMO of Akua, makers of one of the world's first kelp burgers. Prior to launching Akua, she helped build the Summit Community, a global network of founders, creatives, and innovators. She began her career as a journalist at Forbes magazine and The Next Web, and has been recognized as one of Fast Company's most creative people in business. She currently serves as an advisor to GreenWave as well. Courtney, wow. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks so much for you know all the flexibility and scheduling. Glad we could do this. I know how the world can be, as I was just sharing before we got on this podcast. I'm here on the central coast of California, home of one of the largest kelp forests in the world, and also home to some recent weather events that have led atmospheric river after atmospheric river to just pound our shores. So had a bit of flooding and a bit of construction to deal with that as well, because, well, that's the present reality. But being flexible is, I think, part of what it means to deliver nutrition and health without compromise, right? <laughs> yes, flexibility and going with the flow. Yeah. Well, I wanted to start our conversation today centered on one thing, which is really, you know, what led you to the present moment? You got your start in this world of work as a writer and a sustainability advocate, someone who had quite a bit of success. What made you choose to do this, to shift? Well, first, I left journalism and writing to pursue working inside of startups. Basically, I was like a plug-in CMO for early stage tech companies. And so really enjoyed working with entrepreneurs and kind of being a part of the creation stories that I used to write about. And I was working in technology and startups and I, I love tech and I, I miss it, to be honest with you sometimes, but I wanted to reorient my career to some way that was addressing climate change. I felt like I would really regret, you know, fast forward 30 years if I was looking back and I had done nothing. So then I started looking at climate solutions and that's when a friend took me on a kelp farm. And it was just one of those magic moments where so many things came together and I felt like I'd come from this world of consulting and working for multiple companies and always kind of having my hands in lots of different cookie jars, metaphorically speaking. And I thought, wow, this is something I could wake up and do every day for the rest of my life. Wow. Well, that's an important moment to reach. Many people never get to that state. So, you know, just knowing with that certainty that this is something you could do forever. 
Yes, exactly. My love of the oceans. It's my love of feeding people healthy food, my love of seaweed, and of course, every box of ticks around climate. So tell me about that first tour of that farm. Did it happen to be, what, Atlantic Seaweed Company or was it an Atlantic Seaweed Company, no. It was with a amazing nonprofit that we are now partnered with called Green Wave. And I just, one of my, my best friends helped start the nonprofit. And he worked for an amazing guy named Bren Smith. And Bren is a real leader in the industry. Green Wave is one of the most funded nonprofits. Patagonia is like a big backer. And they've grown so much over the years. So I was sitting on a boat with Bren and he was talking about all of the reasons he was in this industry. And so much of it had to do with that connection with farmers and the ocean and helping more farmers get into ocean farming to be able to make a living off of it. And I kind of just thought, well, if you're going to grow all this kelp, who's going to get everyone to eat it? That's what I'll do. (laughs) Well, let's talk for a minute about kelp because As I positioned at the start of this show, kelp is a macroalgae. It is one of the species of algae, and algae itself is responsible for over half of the oxygen that we breathe, as for example. It sequesters carbon. It also produces phytonutrients and then some macronutrients as well. So if somebody is to go ahead and consider kelp as food, help us understand what that can look like. Yeah. So kelp has always been food. It Seaweeds in general have been a part of our culinary history for thousands of years. You know, it's it, it dropped off the map sometime in, in like the 1800s in Europe. I think a lot of our Native Americans like that were in this country first were, were eating lots and lots of seaweeds. Coastal foraging is what they call it. And, you know, I think somewhere along the line, I need to probably look this up around you know, industrial revolution after revolution, we just stopped eating seaweeds. But in Asia and Korea and Japan and China, like eating seaweed is is like the way that, you know, Americans eat bread. Like it's just a part of every... Nori? Of course, nori is one of 10,000 different kinds of edible seaweed. So yeah, and I just... So basically seaweed, what it is, is it's a macroalgae. Like land plants, it grows through photosynthesis which is why it has all these climate change benefits that we can get into. But from a food perspective, it's chock full of vitamins and minerals and has a texture kind of somewhere between like a cooked linguine and a cooked kale when you cook it. And yeah, it's end of the day, just a sea vegetable. It does also have the benefits of sea salt kind of present within it, right? And also iodine. So natural things that we need in our daily diet. So I've had the chance to try a few different seaweed burgers at various stages, some of which were kind of pre-market tests at supply shows in the algae enthusiast community, like Algae Biomass Summit and things like that, where they're trying to showcase the creative uses of algaes and foods. I've also seen things from algae protein isolates and things along those lines that may later end up in our foods. So, you know, what kind of seaweed are using in the Akua burger. And I believe you're also launching a crab cake if you haven't already. Yep. So the crab cake launched, I want to say at the beginning of last summer, I think it was in June. And we use in both products and all of our products, ocean farmed kelp. We use specifically sugar and skinny kelp. Those are the two most abundantly farmed on the New England seaboard. And we also use a kelp fiber in the crab cakes that's from a really cool company called Oceania. And that is it. We have an agar in our burger as well, which, you know, is also technically an algae. 
we're really excited about using other seaweeds, but at the moment for us, the sustainability supply chain is really important. And so kelp is definitely dominating that in the United States. Yeah. So what can people expect from, let's say, a mouthfeel perspective? Let's say that they're ready to give it a try, but they're skeptical. They like to hear, the, oh, between linguine and something else. We're like, that doesn't sound like a burger to me. So talk to us about that. Correct. Well, the description of in between kind of a linguine and a kale is to describe cooked kelp. And when you eat our kelp burger, you are eating cooked kelp that has been basically cut up into tiny little pieces inside of of basically a mixture that has mushrooms and extra virgin olive oil and quinoa and black beans. So when you're biting into a kelp burger, you're going to get that sensation of, of eating all those little ingredients, right? It's very soft. It's not like a traditional, like, you know, beef burger or dry veggie burger that's like, you know, kind of dry or hard. It is a chewy bite. So we use a textured pea protein, which Beyond Meat uses as well. That kind of gives it this like chewy, if you use too much of it, it can be kind of spongy. But yeah, so for us, it's it's soft and chewy is how I would probably describe it. And so that would also provide some protein too from the pea, correct? Correct. Yeah. Kelp is on a sort of by cup basis, not very impressive when you talk about macronutrients like calories or fiber or sugar or protein. It's really all about the micronutrients. So when we're looking at the protein, which you know, a lot of consumers want to see in a burger, you know, anything sort of plant-based in the meat alt category is sort of, they need to have protein in it. We use pea right now and we have 12 grams of protein per patty. Well, that's impressive. Now, as far as the overall calorie construct, I imagine it's actually less than some of the other veggie burgers out there, considering that kelp is so low in caloric content. So how would it compare to, let's say, a standard veggie burger somebody might be used to from that perspective? Calorie-wise, we're looking at like 250 calories per kelp burger. It totally depends on which plant-based burger you're eating. I'd say that's probably in line with like a Prager's or Hillary's or Boca burger and probably a little less than like a Beyond or an Impossible, but close. And as far as added salt, my understanding, at least with most of the kelp burgers out there, is that you really don't need to add salt because the kelp kind of brings some of that to it. So what is the salt source? Is there an additional? We use a tiny bit of salt in our seasoning mix, yes, but you're correct. And it's a kelp basically growing in seawater has a lot of natural salt content. We actually wash off the kelp to sort of, you know, diminish that and then over salty taste. I think a lot of people when they hear kelp burger, I think they're going to eat something that tastes like very briny and oceany. And that's not the case for ours. We really wanted to create a product that would be loved by seafood lovers and non-seafood lovers alike. Well, I have to say hats off to you there because some of the earlier prototypes that I've tried from a variety of companies have been quite briny, which I'm somebody who I don't tend to add salt to my dishes. I tend to feel like they're salty plenty without, you know, adding things. So I'm perhaps a little bit more sensitive than some. May I ask you, did you know that every person has a different kind of like sort of reaction to salt and like how much they like salt in their dishes is apparently like related to how much salt is in their body? Yeah, and that makes complete sense. So I have gone over the years through some pretty intense workout stretches where I was training for marathons and running 40 miles a week or more. And we get to a point where it's like, okay, my sweat in the shower, I would taste because it comes down from your hair and be like, oh, I don't taste any salt anymore. I definitely need to consume more, right? Because you just sweat so much of it out. And I would find myself craving salty foods, but I'd also take an electrolyte supplement in addition. And 
still found that even at those moments, I didn't tend to like adding salt to foods very much. I do prefer to use sea salt at home. I have like a sea salt cracker and I prefer it to be really gritty, like noticeable as opposed to like what you get out of a shaker personally. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. Add salt when I add salt, but it, typically it's not very much. Mm. And who are these other companies that you're trying kelp burgers? Because I, I don't know many. There's the Dutch Weed Burger over in Amsterdam that is arguably, I think, was the first to market that I saw, but their first ingredient is soy. And then I think we were first to market with a kelp burger where kelp is the, the first ingredient. Yeah, I think you're correct on that. I went to Natural Products Expo East in September this year, and Atlantic Sea Farms was tasting in the, a booth that they managed there. They were just bringing it to market through a branded product that I think was regionally launched in the North Atlantic area. So, and I felt like it was super salty. So, you know, again, I'm more sensitive and therefore was obviously not the target demographic for this. I was like, well, is it, is that salt all coming from the seaweed? And they said, yes. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's just. And have you tried our burger? I have not yet. Oh I my just God, not... what a crime. I know, what a crime. So after this episode, I'm definitely going to have to go and seek some out. I did try to find it in my local shop and didn't see it there. So you'll have to give me a list. So in San Francisco, we sell almost 60 boxes a week at Rainbow Grocery. Yeah, that's apparently... San Francisco is about an hour and a half drive for me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> where are you again? Scotts Valley, California. So it's on the coast in Santa Cruz County. Yeah. So probably just ordering from the website. We're happy to send you some is a move. Although we're in like 800 stores now, which is not that many from a retail perspective, but growing. Well, I have to tell you, Rainbow Grocery is one of my favorite health food stores. And they were recently featured on the cover of Natural Foods Merchandiser, which is one of the publications that goes out at Natural Products Expo West, where I just had the pleasure of attending in March. So and we were there sampling. Sorry to miss you. I know. It's just it's such a madhouse, that show. So I will just say that overall, stores like Rainbow Grocery, they really help people discover new things. And they're just so good at educating the public who comes in about the products that they serve. So I just frankly just love that store. Oh, it's so great. I love them so much. We went in and gave everyone hats the other day. And they're all just so passionate about what they do, which makes such a big difference. And we're just asking me a million questions and they were so sweet. <laughs> well, they are what a lot of health food stores used to be 10 years ago. And there are many reasons for the shift, but frankly, the Whole Foods of today doesn't offer that kind of service to their customers. And there's been other shifts underfoot that have affected that. When you have a health food store like Rainbow Grocery in your community, I mean, seek them out, go for it. In my community, it's probably Staff of Life, which is in Santa Cruz. Oh, we are definitely sold there. Or we okay. used to be, if they could be out of stock, but you let me know because they were one of our first stores that took us in. Yeah, fantastic. They are a great shop and a resource for the community as well. So if you have health challenges you're tackling or great foods you want to try, you know, please support your local natural health food store. They are a treasure. All right. So let's get back to talking about the regenerative nature of kelp. One of mine too. So when it comes to our oceans, I did share with the community here, like up to 50% or more of the oxygen we breathe coming from different species of algae around the globe. But what makes kelp or farmed kelp specifically so regenerative? There's two main reasons that farmed kelp is referred to as regenerative aquaculture. 
first. And basically, as you know, but I imagine just for your readers or sorry, listeners, the difference between sustainable agriculture and regenerative agriculture is there's typically one step beyond sustainable, which is sort of this idea that we leave things how we found it. Well, we're kind of past that. When we think about the damage we've done to our planet, we need to be looking at regenerative forms of agriculture and aquaculture to actually reverse the damage and and heal things. So kelp farming has two main benefits to think about. The first is, unlike, you know, the arugula and tomatoes in, in your beautiful background, kelp does not require fresh water or dry land to grow abundantly, which makes it a really interesting future food source. And then two is, if you guys remember from science class, kelp is a macroalgae that grows by a photosynthesis. And what that means is it's taking in the sun's energy, it's taking in the CO2 from the ocean, and it's basically growing its body mass and emitting oxygen. It's also pulling in a lot of nitrogen too, which has an amazing deacidification effect on the ocean. A lot of climate change scientists have said crazy things like, if we had a kelp farm the size of the Amazon rainforest sucking in CO2 from the ocean, we could literally reverse rising sea temperatures. So we're not at that scale yet. We hope the industry gets there at some point because there's a lot of really great benefits that come from this industry scaling, unlike a lot of other agricultural industries. So that is why it's referred to as regenerative. Well, you've said a lot there in a very short time. So let's unpack this for people. Ocean acidity. How exactly does kelp help to reduce ocean acidity? Sure. So ocean acidity is coming from all sorts of like CO2 that's in the water. So the ocean absorbs like most of the CO2 that's released into the air is is getting then absorbed back into the sea. Other chemicals such as nitrogen and to just back up like the ocean acidity, if you guys remember from science classes, is basically like when your pH is above alkaline levels. The average ocean pH you want to nerd out is is about 8.1. When that rises, it's when you have the effects of ocean acidification, which can cause dying of coral reefs, you know, different species of, of seafood, particularly shellfish, you know, are really, really impacted. So when you grow a lot of kelp, you're basically helping to deacidify the oceans, move them back towards a more basic, also known as alkaline level. What we see on the very small scale of the farming that we're doing right now is we are seeing different species of fish that haven't been there in in decades kind of return. Also, you're seeing the shellfish actually have thicker shells in the area, which is really cool. And then obviously, scientists are monitoring the actual pH because of these kelp farms. So it's a chemistry question. And and candidly, I didn't take chemistry in high school. I took like geoscience, which is called rocks for jocks. But that is my basic understanding of it. Just to further educate our audience, when scientists tell you that with rising acidity, the oceans continue to warm, they're referring specifically to how much carbon our oceans have taken on. And the oceans themselves are the largest carbon sink we have. They absorb more than half of the carbon that goes into the atmosphere. And that's through the action of the waves. So just the waves moving, just like you want to get oxygen into the water in your fish tank, you use a bubbler or something like that in your fish tank or have the water moving with a filter that gets ambient air to flow through the water. And when that ambient air flows through the water, whatever's in that air gets absorbed. So that could be your oxygen, which in the atmosphere is about 21% oxygen. But then you also have 
other gases, including nitrogen and of course, carbon dioxide. So the plants consume the carbon dioxide, they expel oxygen, they're able to therefore get this whole science project to move in a direction that is healthier for everybody. And to your note with the the seashells themselves, that is the mind blown moment that occurred for me over 15 years ago at this point when I was at the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute enjoying a presentation by the scientists there when they essentially said with rising ocean acidities, it kind of doesn't matter if greenhouse gases are causing the atmosphere to get warmer, the ocean will keep getting warmer, acidity increases. So we really do need to make it more basic, literally return the base and reduce the acidity. And I think kelp farming is a great way to get there. Secondarily, I'm here on the Monterey Bay coast and I'm a scuba diver. So I see the health of our oceans on a personal level on an ongoing basis. And what you'll see too is the kelp services as a sanctuary for many of the animals. You mentioned fish, but you'll also see things like sea otters. And sea otters during a storm will literally tether themselves to the kelp so that they don't wash away, so to speak. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have sea otters on the farms on the New England seaboard, which would be awesome because we love otters. Yeah. And there's work to restore some of their habitats. So as the kelp forests have been expanding on the West Coast, we're seeing sea otters reintroduced into certain areas, which is also important for the growth of kelp. Because if you look at, for instance, the Santa Barbara coastline, there's very few, if any, sea otters. And so what happens is the sea urchins take over and the sea urchins eat the roots of the kelp and then the kelp washes out to sea. And so it's something that is a delicate balance as with any ecosystem. And if you can have that certain apex plant, in this case, the kelp serve as part of that forest for these animals to return, then we can have better functioning environmental areas. So fantastic. Yep. And just to like clarify for the listeners, kelp farms where we source our burgers are man-made and meant to sort of replicate a kelp forest, but kind of upside down. And we would never and have never touched wild kelp to make our products, which would be highly destructive. Well, and the reasons for that are simple. We need the wild kelp to, to do its job in the territories that they're in, right? Yeah. So as it stands right now, Let's talk about kelp products as a unique alternative in the world of plant-based nutrition. How do these serve people to create a better diet? Yeah, I think that the most, like I'm plant-based pretty much. I definitely hang out with a lot of fishermen. And so I tend to like eat seafood from time to time. I grew up on Cape Cod. It's just a part of my heritage and I love it. I'm also married to a French man. So there's some cheese in our lives for sure. But I really just feel my best eating 100% plant-based, but I only feel my best when I eat a really varied plant-based diet. And one of the sort of pitfalls of going plant-based is people end up kind of like not having a lot of options, right? And you have to get really creative or else you're kind of just like subsisting on like bread, beans, and tofu. So I think what's really exciting about kelp and all sea vegetables and mushrooms and like all of these like the dozens of new kinds of mushrooms that have hit the grocery store since the white button era of my you know, upbringing is just the variety that you're getting. And you're on this sort of eating, learning safari when you're getting introduced to a whole new world under the sea world of sea vegetables. So I think that's kind of the most exciting piece is the variety. I think, you know, from a perspective of like, okay, a lot of the even vegetables that we're eating on land, if you're sourcing them, you know, from big factory 
vegetable farms, if you will, or a lot of them are grown in soil that's been like depleted of nutrients, while a lot of the nutrients are still really rich in our oceans. So I think that's kind of an interesting point too, is you're getting like maybe different levels of vitamins and minerals from sea vegetables versus land-based plants. Yeah, I think those are the, the two main drivers for, for thinking about kelp and the plant-based diet for me, and then taste. <laughs> I think that's key too. But, and to your point, there aren't as many, even organic farmers that are farming in such a way that is truly regenerative yet. It's a lot of monocropping and, you know, frankly, some, they still till in most cases. And it's the no-till farming that actually helps the soil retain its microbes that are healthy for growing food and ensuring that the land itself is able to hold water, that it holds more carbon. So the food it produces is more nutritious. So across the board, we do need to address farming to be more regenerative so that we can continue to get healthy food. I mean, there's been several research studies that show that even the spinach that we consume today has a fraction of the iron that it once had in it. And so this is the case kind of across the board when you look at different nutrition sources, especially those that are conventionally farmed. Those foods that are organically farmed tend to be to have different nutrition profiles. But when we get into the world of regenerative agriculture, it's like a step again above. So now there is a new certification called Regenerative Organic Certification, which is also known as ROC Certified, R-O-C. I have interviewed on this podcast the founders of Lotus Brands, Lotus Foods. They have regeneratively grown rice products available. So really critical, especially to work with small crop farmers and ensure that they are able to get this ROC certification as well. Cool. I'll look up Lotus Foods. I love rice. Yeah. So they're, they're fantastic. And oh my God, I eat their, I just went to their website, their instant soup yeah, and their rice noodles. I eat all the time. I just didn't recognize the brand. They're amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm happy to introduce you to the owners of the company. They also operate to help people import organic rice that gets used in different brands products. So if you're interested in using their rock certified rice products, that might be something for the future for you. Oh, I die to meet them. Biggest fan. Yes, please. Yes. So as it stands, I think overall, we've touched base specifically on these macro algae. What else excites you from the world of algae? Let's say doesn't have to be the macroalgae, but it could also be macroalgae. You mentioned some different inputs that you're using in your product that might be different species of algae that people are less familiar with than kelp. So what excites you? That you know, I gotta just share the first thing that pops into my head, which is like sort of the opposite end of the food spectrum. But when it comes to wastewater treatment, I have this like really kind of out there idea that like basically we treat wastewater and eventually it goes back into our oceans. So like, wouldn't it be really cool that like at that point around where the pipe leads out back into our oceans, if we were building kelp farms around there, kind of as just this like last stop cleaning method. And then like, obviously we wouldn't use that kelp for food, but there's like a lot of different ways to use kelp, like, you know, bioplastics or fertilizer. I think fertilizer could be a really interesting one for that specific treatment. So, you know, I think when I take my Akua hat off someday and we hopefully sold the company, maybe to Lotus Brands, <laughs> you know, and we just have this sort of day where I'm no longer waking up and being the CEO of Akua, I really want to move into thinking about just more ways to clean our oceans with kelp. And the wastewater piece seems to be just a frequent issue that's coming up on all coasts. We just can't seem to get a handle on it. And then I think like beyond the wastewater bit is the oil spill piece, you know, like how do we 
where there's been oil spills, maybe plant, and maybe it's not just kelp, maybe there's other algaes that are more productive at this, but, you know, planting these big kelp farms in these open spaces that have had oil spills and just, you know, cleaning our oceans in those more natural ways. Wow. Now, just for those that are listening who may be less familiar with some of these advents in technology, microalgae are traditionally now used in wastewater treatment plants. And what they essentially do is take out some of the nitrogen and other components that might have been in our runoff, especially if you're close to farms, because if an area is close to a farm, then the phosphorus, the nitrogen, the potassium that is in all of that fertilizer can end up washing into the ocean. And if it washes into the ocean, what further happens is it creates an environment where an algae bloom can occur and where that algae can grow out of control so quickly that it depletes even the oxygen from the local environment. You'll see a bunch of fish wash up to the shore dead, and it's very, very toxic for that local environment. And that's an out of control situation. So if we are then using algae strains at the interface between that water runoff and getting into the ocean, then we're able to protect the ecosystem and we're able to ensure that the wastewater that ends up in our oceans doesn't impact the environment negatively and just keeps everything in balance. Now, to that point too, there's an interesting company that I love to talk about, which is Bloom. And what they do is they go around and they actually gather the out-of-control algae blooms that hit lakes and also uh, seaboards. And they then turn that algae into bioplastic foam for shoes so that you can create, you know, a Allbirds sneaker with this film that's from algae turned into a foam application that works really well for a shoe sole. So on their website as well. And it sounds like there's companies doing what I want to do next. And that's great because I don't think I want to start a company next. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather work for one of these people. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So as we really think about this next step for you, are there other products that you're excited about? You've got this now crab cake, so you've got some variety coming in. You have, of course, the kelp burger, which people can find at one of 800 local health food stores and also through going directly to akua.co. That's A-K-U-A.co, your website to order direct. What else is coming? Yeah. So I'm super bummed that you were not at Expo because you would have seen our booth, which would have been just like SpongeBobbed out. And basically we've got our original kelp burger that's on shelf. We've got two new SKUs of the kelp burger, chili sesame and lemon and herb that are launching in two weeks for Earth Day. And then for World Oceans Day in June, we're launching our two new SpongeBob SKUs, which are sliders, like 1.5 ounce sliders versus like the regular burgers are three ounce. They're mini burgers for kids. There's four to a pack. And we partnered with Nickelodeon to put SpongeBob on the product to basically they're really excited. They've launched a campaign called Operation Sea Change. And they were looking for brands that honored SpongeBob's legacy. The creator of the show was like a lifelong vegan and ocean conservationist. So they reached out to us and we've always been pinged by our customers being like, is this the Krabby Patty? And so like, just kind of leaning into that now. And I just became a, a new mom last year. So the idea of like doing kids, like actually healthy kids products that, you know, have a licensing on them and, you know, using the SpongeBob brand as kind of like our celebrity partner, you're seeing more of that, you know, these celebrities coming in and starting brands. So we chose to work with a cartoon versus, you know, like Kim Kardashian. Yeah, we're just, we're so excited about it because the sort of 
reaction to SpongeBob has just been like so positive. And he's, it's such a fun multi-age brand. Well, I, we do watch SpongeBob in our house. I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. And I think if you figure out a way to make the gummy candies out of algae and have them as a promo item, that would be kind of amazing. They do actually sell Krabby Patty gummies right around Valentine's Day as an example. And I mean, I don't buy gummies, so I stay away from them. But I think there could be an algae application of something like that. I, there, there definitely is. There was a guy on TikTok making gummies out of some, like agar agar or something and they were like healthy i don't think that's something that like we would necessarily tackle unless like we raise more money and we can just do whatever <laughs> we want but i love that idea i think like tv like healthy because like i love gummy bears and i obviously like don't eat them every day but it would be just like so awesome if you had like a healthy gummy bear because i just think they're fun to eat and yeah the crabby patty that would be hilarious anyway Well, thank you so much for all of this. I love learning more about what you're doing. I wish I had come by your booth at Expo. It was just such a huge show. I didn't recall seeing you. I don't even know what floor you were on. There were so many. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm sure meet up in the real world again soon. And I absolutely loved and meeting you. And I learned so much from you too. And Monterey Berry Aquarium is, it just reminded me, I owe the chef samples there. But yeah, it's just such an epic institution. And where you live is kelp country. So really glad we connected. Yeah. And when you do come through, I would just encourage you to reach out to the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute. I once hosted a field trip on behalf of a fish oil company I used to work with to go there with all my employees. And I actually got to drive their underwater rover, tour their research vessel. They take vessel out to the Mariana Trench there, which is off the coast of Carmel. And the water there goes down about two miles, which is far, far deeper than a scuba diver can venture. And so there's a lot of research that happens off the coast there. I'm sure they would be able to give you an update of about where they are and the whole process of assessing ocean health and the things that they're seeing now. But sadly, the story hasn't become less dire, it has become more so. So more kelp in the oceans is a very good thing. Less expenditure of carbon is also a very good thing. And for those of our listeners and watchers on YouTube that are interested in learning more about other applications of what you can do with algae, the show is sponsored by Orlo Nutrition. They are harnessing the power of microalgae for human nutrition with products in the omega-3 space and also in spirulina. And those particular products are in their most bioavailable form, better absorbed than fish oil by far, and providing EPA and DHA from omega-3 and also spirulina with vitamin B12 in the methylcobalamin form, which is something that spirulina grown in open ponds doesn't produce. So check them out for sure. And for anybody who is watching too, if you go to orlonutrition.com, that is where you'll find entire show notes for this episode, along with direct links to find Courtney and everything she's doing with Akua. Now, do you have an offer you'd like to provide our audience? Is there a coupon code you could offer or something to that effect? Absolutely. I think that the quickest one without creating a new one is I know CBM. And that's my nickname. You can see it right here on the video screen. And that'll get you 50% off your first order. And that is my best deal of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know CBM, another little moment of coincidence, rather. My initials are (laughs) CMB. Yeah, people always mix those up. Right. So it's CBM. I know CBM for Courtney Boyd Myers. Yep. 
at akua.co and that's A-K-U-A.co. Yes. My email is cbm at akua.co. The discount code is I know CBM. That's great. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on this discussion. This has been my absolute pleasure. Perfect. Great. Well, it was so good to connect. Thank you so much for all the thoughtful questions. Talk to you soon. To find out more about Courtney Boyd Myers and her work with Akua, visit akua.co. You can follow their work on Instagram and TikTok at lifeakua. I'll be sure to include direct links with show notes at orlonutrition.com. This podcast is all about serving each of you. So if you'd like us to dive into specific topics or have questions that you'd like for me or Courtney to answer, please send us a note via social or email directly to me. Our social profiles are at Orlo Nutrition, that's O-R-L-O Nutrition, or via email directly at hello at orlonutrition.com. If you learned something today, I hope that you'll subscribe to Nutrition Without Compromise on your favorite podcasting platform. While you're at it, please give us a thumbs up, five-star rating, or even write us a review. This will help more people to discover the show so we can achieve our best health together naturally. And before I part, remember that you too can get an extra 20% off your order just by using the code NWC20 at checkout on orlonutrition.com. So if you're ready to try another omega-3 or you need to boost your immunity boost, or if you need to boost your immunity with immunity boost containing our spirulina along with vitamin B12, you can go ahead and use that coupon code NWC20 at checkout at orlonutrition.com. As we close today's show, I hope that you'll raise a cup with me as I say my closing words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either-or. 